good. All right, believe it or not, God's not done with you this morning. Touch a neighbor and say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> We're going to hear a word this morning from the Bible and from a mighty preacher. And it's not me. The original Zanako. The OZ, as we call them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Steve Zanako. Come on, welcome to the stage, Steve Zanako. He knows so much of the Bible, he didn't even bring one up here. It's in his notes, guys. No, it's okay. All right, we're going to pray for him, and uh, we're all going to receive and be hungry to hear from him. Amen? Anybody ever been here when Steve preaches? It's going to be good. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much uh, for my dad. Thank you that he's a man of God. And thank you for who he is in uh, this house. Thank you who he is to this family. Thank you for the life that he's lived, the testimony that he has, and the power that's on him. Lord, we just pray for more anointing than ever before because we all get to benefit from it. So would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Would you open up our hearts and uh, just do whatever needs to be done inside of us to receive the word this morning? We, we don't just want to hear it. We want to receive it. And would you do uh, work on us this morning, catalyze us, change us, move us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you. The, the truth is that my Bible's too big to bring up here. It's old, old school that it makes the stand tilt, so I can't use my Bible. And also, I'm afraid of electronics, and so I have paper notes. Um, but I, yeah, there you go. But I promise I am going to use the scriptures. They're just in here. It's amazing what copy and pasting can do. Um, I also, before I start and preach, I, I just have to say this. I've never run to church like I run to this church. I just love you guys, and there's just no place. I just cannot wait to come and worship, and I cannot believe I get to teach, to be honest with you. So I just love it. Um, we started a new series last week entitled War and Worship, and last week, Andrew just gave us an outline from the scriptures, incredible tools for worship. And it, the title of the series is War and Worship, and in, in acknowledging that worship is a war, we almost inherently acknowledge that some of us will get wounded in that war. Please take something out, um, because we're going to look this week and look at how to worship wounded. Please take something out to write some notes because God spoke through a donkey and I am pretty confident that even with me, he's going to say something that is worth writing down. Today, we're going to go back and go look to God and ask, what do we do when prayers seem to bounce off the walls of our lives and return to us unanswered? What do we do when the word that we heard from God has no resemblance of the life that we're currently living with God? There is an old Christian joke that I want to share with you. And I want to say to you that you don't even have to laugh because I actually don't think it's that funny. I'm sharing it to make a point. So you don't need to laugh to make, to make me feel like I'm not bombing up here. So the joke goes like this. It's, it's, a, it's a story of a Christian man walking along the side of a path on the side of a mountain. And I'm going to say it quickly. And he falls off the side of the path. And on the way on the fall, he grabs a branch. He's holding on to that branch. And he's crying out for help. Who will help me? Who can help me? Who can get me off this branch? Nobody answers. Finally, God answers and says, I can help you. And the man says, what do you want me to do? And God says, let go of the branch. And the man stays there for like five minutes. And then he yells back, is there anybody else out there? 
It is a little funny. <laughs> but someday, I'm going to tell you why I think that joke is actually more sad than funny. We're going to do some teaching on that. But for today, I want to use that joke to make a point, not for that joke, but what somebody said to me after I shared the point of that joke when I was teaching a Bible study one time. A man came up to me, and he said, hey, Steve, you didn't tell the end of the story. And I said, really, what's the end of the story? He said, you forgot to tell everybody that when the man let go of the branch, there was a ledge three inches below his feet. And I just need to tell you that you will never hear me tell that end of the story. I am compelled to tell you that the promise that you will only fall three inches is not in the scriptures and it is not in the story of God. Neither is the promise that you automatically fall more than three inches. That is not assured either. It might, but it's not, this is not a message with a warning that says, be careful if you haven't had that heart crushing, that chart changing life, it's coming at you. It's not the point. But the point is that it is a possibility. And some of us will go through a journey like that. By the love of the God and the Father, the grace of the Son and the fellowship of the Spirit, many of you will never be forced to taste of a free fall in your life. A free fall like losing a child, a chronic illness, a betrayal of a deep friendship, the loss of a life dream, or even the loss of a child. But it is certain that some of us will go through that journey. God underscores this truth when, uh, through Peter, he says in 1 Peter 2.19, this finds favor if for sake of consciousness toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. This word for suffering, it is the picture of something that is being done to you. This is a verse that is not talking about the living out the consequences of suffering for sin. This verse is talking about the suffering of the righteous. If this type of trial is a part of your journey as a disciple, I hope to show you all the promises that God has for you if you will hold steadfast in him and hang on to your faith in the middle of that trial. Peter said this, what we are afraid of becomes our master. I hope to bring out into the light fears that many of us think about, but we're afraid to even speak out loud. They're hidden way down in our souls. I hope to honestly address the greatest fear most of us carry way down deep. Is God enough? Fill in the blank. Is God enough if I lose all of my money? Is God enough if I lose my wife? Is God enough if I divorce? Is God enough if I lose a child? This is not a message of despair or ominous warning. This is a message to give honor to those who walk this road and set free those of you who walk in fear of this road. You don't have to be afraid. I need to say something honestly to you. When I'm sharing, not just this time, whenever I'm sharing with you, I'm not sharing. I'm sharing from my journey. I am not sharing from my arrival. I am still on this journey with you. I just am opening up my journal and sharing you what I'm learning along the way. I've fallen a lot farther than three inches in my journey with Jesus. A lot farther than three inches. 
at times, I've fallen so hard and so long that I thought I would never catch my breath again. My falls and the wounds and the scars that mark me have changed everything about my life. They've literally changed the way I walk. They've changed the way I look. They've changed the way I think. They've changed the way I pray. And they've changed the way, most certainly, of how I view God. But understand, when all is said and done, I no longer carry the fear that I carried for so long as a husband, as a father, as a follower of Jesus. In my struggles, in my questions that I never spoke out loud because I was afraid, so afraid of them, in living out the journey that I have lived, that question has been asked and it has been answered. Yes, God is enough. And no matter what you are, God is enough and he's more than enough. If you are called to a trial of suffering or sorrow in a fall, you will find the glory of God in a way you cannot imagine. You will pay a price for it, but it will be so worth it. In fact, one time I was sharing, I was asking permission of a woman that was walking this journey, this hard journey, and I said, can I share your story? And she said to me, you can share, but only if you promise to, to tell them that it was worth it. And I'm standing here to tell you that as hard as it is, as how many tears there is, it's always worth it. This is a hard message, but it's a message of promise it's a message of hope. It's a message of power because it's a message of redemption. This is a message of redemption. But how? How do we make it through these, the most painful seasons? How do we fight through the redemption? Yes, the answer is worship. My hope in the remainder of our time together is give you a picture of what does it look like to worship wounded the Psalms are full of testimony and stories of faith and wonderful outcomes, but the Psalms are also full of cries for help from people. One of the greatest periods of suffering was when the people were in exile. They had been taken away from their home of Jerusalem. They had been taken away from their temple and their places of worship. They had been taken away from their symbols of their great God, and they were living in a foreign land, and they were suffering under the godless rule of a ruling nation and yes, the exile of the people of God was due to sin. But inside the tribe that had turned away from God were people of righteousness, were people that still suffered in the exile even though they loved and they lived God. And Psalm 137 records the broken hearts of the people being tormented and mocked by their captors. Psalm 137.1, by the rivers of Babylon... That's where they were taken. There we sat down and we cried. We remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our hearts. For there our captors demanded of us songs. And our tormentors said, sing us now one of your songs of Zion. But how? How can we sing? Sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Their captors had taken their land away, 
had taken them from their land, had taken them from their temples, had taken every symbol that they had of their God and even took their instruments. And then they tormented him and said, now sing. Now let's hear you sing one of your songs about God. This was the rule. This was the nation that God was going to use to show the whole world that there was one God and now they are the point of ridicule of every of the most powerful nation in the world and they're standing there taunting him saying, where is your God now? God said David was going to be a great king. But when David wrote Psalm 142, it looked like that God's promise to be a king sounded like a cruel joke from God against David. This man who was going to be king is currently running from his entire nation because a bounty has been put on his head. So the people that he will one day rule are now hunting him, trying to collect money and ransom by killing him. And when he writes Psalm 142, he's in a cave hiding. That's where the king is. Psalm 142 starts with, I cried out loud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. Here's the promise. Sometimes the journey to the promises of God go through the hardship and the loneliness of a cave. And I don't want you to be surprised by that. I know this is a hard truth, but it's really necessary that it be brought out into the light. Because if we are fooled into thinking that God will only let us fall at most three inches, then when life hits and we fall more than three inches, we are left with only awful choices. The choices are only that God is not real or God is not strong enough or he's not listening, or he doesn't move for me. Awful choices. I am so glad for the honest portrayal of the walk and the journey of a disciple that is outlined in the scriptures. I'm so glad for the honest portrayal because it allows me to see the truth of God, that even if I'm in a cave, God is real. God is listening. God is strong enough, and God's always moving. Always. Can any of you relate to the story I'm telling? I know you can. Because I get to know some of your stories. I know some of your stories. What do the caves look like today? You're a single in a, full, in a world full of married couples. You have begged God for a husband or a wife, and yet you're still not married. You've chosen a life of purity and honor to live out a way that God has described in a world that says that it is ridiculous. Friends, potential mates, even other Christians chastise you and say you're holding to a ridiculous ideal, something passe. You've walked away from the rule of money or prestige and position and pleasure that money can bring in your life. And but instead of being honored, you're pitied and made fun of as a fool. Your church is filled with children and you want a child more than anything and yet you have gotten the news that you will never bear a child. 
You adopted a disadvantaged child from a hurting part of the world, and that decision made in faith almost destroyed your life. Your body's failing you. Doctor appointment after doctor appointment leaves you not only with little hope, but when you speak of healing, when you speak hope, you get doubt, rolled eyes, and maybe even pity from non-Christians, but even from some Christians too. Children around you are miraculously healed, but your child remains sick for years, even decades, and still every morning you pray, and every day during the day, and every night you set your head down on the pillow, you still say, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Parent wounds, children wounds, friendship wounds, Christian wounds, they're real. You've searched your heart and asked God and his struggles, are your struggles, they're not due to sin. You are not in a cave as a consequence. There's nothing to repent of. There's nothing to change. So what do you do? When you have done the honest work and determined that your suffering and your trial is not due to a consequence and is not sin, then it's time to turn the, this trial into a calling. Once you've determined its cleared consequence, then make it a calling. I saw this beautifully lived out in Linda's mom. Linda's mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. She was going undergoing treatment and we went up to see her one night and that was the day that she got the news that the treatment was not working and that she was gonna die. We sat in her living room and she said to me, and it was one of the most heartfelt questions I've ever faced and had to answer. And she looked at me and she said, Steve, I know God does miracles. Was I not worthy of one of him? And I walked her through the scriptures of John the Baptist where Jesus looked and said, there, there's a man, the best man born of a woman. And John the Baptist died, beheaded in a prison. Mom, it's not about your sin. You are worthy. And you know, she looked at me relieved and said, okay, okay, then I can do this well. And she did. I wish I had the time to tell you the stories of how she turned that life and that calling into a calling and the lives that she touched and the people she changed and that her dying words were, I am so happy. How? Worship. And I hope you're seeing a trend here. <laughs> worship's the answer. And I need to tell you that worship's not the answer because we're in a worship series. <laughs> We actually believe, no, no, we know worship is the answer. Worship's always the answer. Somehow, always find your way back to worship. I was in a trial of a lifetime one time and we were on vacation and I went out to a beautiful place on some rocks and I was praying and I was praying and I put my petitions before God and I listed my issues and I said here and then I prayed and then I asked him to heal. I did, I did all the things, I read the word and I started walking away and I heard from God, hey, don't leave yet. I mean, I, I was like, I knew I shouldn't leave. And I was like, 
Why, God? You haven't reached worship yet. It's the first time I ever heard that. I didn't understand that my prayer, my request, my words, all good, but I hadn't reached worship yet. You stay, Steve, until you feel me, until you taste me, until you know that I am here, I am real, and I am enough. That is where your salvation is. Stay here until you reach worship. And that day began to change my life as I saw the criticalness of worship. And I want to speak to something that Andrew mentioned in his message, this this fear of emotion. I had it. (laughs) So after that day, I started freaking out a little bit. Because now all of a sudden I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to a worship song and the world's changing before me and I don't know what's going on with me. And I'm a man of the word and I don't know and I'm looking and I've always been really honest with God. And so finally I just spoke it out loud and I said, God, I got to tell you something. I'm going to be honest that sometimes I feel a little more power and redemption in worship than I do from just reading the word. Might as well tell you, you already know. <laughs> and he washed over me. Steve, what do you think worship is? You're singing the word. Does it not make sense that when you talk about the power of a resurrection body and you're reading it, that when you put that resurrection in a corporate setting, in a song setting, and it's involving your body, it's involving more senses, and you're feeling it and your power, that you will be able to celebrate that truth more. If you're getting all worked up about gumdrops and lollipops, that's a problem. But I realized it was just the power of involving myself in the truths. And so I'm not afraid of emotion anymore, and I don't want you to be either. Worship is your gift to God, but worship is also God's gift to you. Worship is our lifeline. I hope we made it clear that there's no specific way to worship, but I also hope we made it clear that worship will be worship when it's not just reading, not just praying, and not just prayer lists. Worship is worship when you're safely wrapped in the presence of God and in the power of God and in the assurance of God. So let's get to it. How do you worship wounded? First, worship by not holding back. Yep, that's the word we got from God. And nope, I didn't work it into the message. I didn't wrestle with it for four hours going, you know, it's got to be in here somewhere. It just flowed from my fingertips as I read it. It was point number one. So I'm saying that's a confirmation from God. Number one, worship by do not holding back. No, I didn't. If you're in a wounded season, don't hold back your complaints, your concerns, or anything from God. David didn't. In Psalm 142, 1, he said, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. David did not hold anything back from God. He listed every request. He listed every complaint. And he did it out loud. And he did it with passion. Karis showed us in one of her messages that that's what Hezekiah did. Can I tell you, Abraham did it. Moses did it. 
David did it. Jesus did it. You got to do it. When you're struggling, you list your complaints before God. Don't hold back from God. I've done this, and I'm doing this right now. I go down in my basement. I leave the lights out. I turn a fan on because somehow it makes me feel like I'm a little bit more isolated. And then I start going after it. (laughs) Out loud, pacing, whatever I need to do. And you know what? Sometimes I do it for hours. Sometimes for hours. I need to do it for hours right now. I want you to know that I believe with all my heart, you do not only have permission to do this with God, you're encouraged to do this with God. I don't go down in my basement thinking, oh, God's going, oh, boy, here he comes again. (laughs) I feel nothing but welcome and love of him saying, Steve, come on. Let it all out. I love you. This is my invitation to you. I'm here. I see your pain. I feel your pain. I know your pain. I want you to let it all out. Don't hold back. You want to know how God feels about this kind of time? Look at Psalm 56, 8, and it says he put your tears in a bottle. That's how God feels about this. Let them flow, and don't hold back. One guide posts in your crying out, do not let your complaints go or turn into accusations against God. While David did complain, he also acknowledged the truth of God. In Psalm 142.3, he said, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. You see that? There's the complaint. There's the truth. Okay? Then in Psalm 142.5, I cried out to you, Lord, but I'm, you are my refuge. Complaint, truth. We have permission for God to do anything, but it must remain in a a spirit of humility and with the acknowledgement that it's our thinking, our understanding, our vision that we're seeking to change, not his. So I can indeed say to God, why, God? Why is this happening? I don't see the reason. I don't see the path out of this, and there doesn't seem to be any solution. I cannot make it dependent on whether or not I will worship him and whether or not I believe in him. I do not get to say to him, you jump through this hoop, I believe. You don't, I don't. It's a statement of faith. It's an acknowledgement that, that he sees things that I don't. We can put everything before God and ask him everything as long as it comes with an attitude. God, my complaints, my petitions, my sorrows laid before you are so that I can see what you see. Second, worship by going wherever you need to to find the presence of God. Psalm 73 is written by a man named Asaph. Asaph reels off about 16 straight verses of complaints about the unfairness of life. He writes about how the rich are well-fed, they, um, they are comfortable, they are surrounded by pleasures. He actually says some, at some point they don't even die, so you can tell he's a little bit out of rep here. And he's just kind of like listing off all these things and just this complaint. And his conclusion is that I have lived a life of faith and devotion to God and it hasn't worked. But in verse 16 and 17, 16, when I pondered and understood this, it was troublesome in my spirit, as it should have been, (laughs) until, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now, as much as we know about Asaph, and this is a little geeky, as much as we know about Asaph, Asaph wrote during the period of the exile that I talked about. He was an exilic writer, and he wrote about the experiences of the exile. So here's a really cool thing. That means when Asaph said, I went to the sanctuaries of God, there was no temple. It was rubble. 
There were no symbols of God that he could go to. But he found the sanctuaries of God, and actually the word's plural. No matter what is taken away from you, the presence of God can never be taken away from you. That's the truth. Which brings us to point number three. When wounded, worship by climbing higher. Psalm 61 and 2. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Oh, that's gold. My daughter and son-in-law are licensed uh, uh, wilderness guides. And the first thing they train train you in wilderness, I don't know if it's the first thing. One of the things they train you in wilderness training is that when you're lost, climb higher. First thing you do when you're lost is climb higher because you can see stuff from the mountaintop that you cannot see down in the weeds and in the brush. So when lost, you climb with all the energy that you're worth. You climb. Because everything looks different from where God sits. That's all we got to do is we got to get there. I'm not talking about perspective here. Perspective is good. Perspective is a great idea and perspective helps. But perspective really is a different angle. But sometimes in life, you don't need a different angle. You need to see it from where God sees it. And that's a height that's not about perspective. When Asaph did all this, he concluded in Psalm 73, I then perceived the truth. Then I saw things as they really were. But as for me, verse 28, the nearness of God is my good, and I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all his works. Do you see where he went from? Life stinks. The wicked prosper. Righteousness doesn't work. They don't even die. Here's the truth. That's what we need. Fourth, worship by remembering your history with God. I don't have time to go through all of this, but do sometimes a word search on how many times God says to his people, remember me, remember me, remember me, remember me. He's not an egomaniac. He's saying, remember all I've done. That is your salvation in this. Remember the times that you felt hopeless. Remember the times with you. Remember the times with others. Remember the times you felt hopeless only to find hope reborn. Remember all the times you thought God was not listening and then all of a sudden he rushed back in. Remember the history that his, own, his answers have often and in most cases been difficult than what you would have prescribed. And in the end you found out they were better. Remember the history that you have with God. This part's always doable. Because we have the scriptures and we have millions of martyrs and witnesses and people that have walked in faith, in biographies, you can always find a testimony to God. Live in those testimonies of the scriptures and others. They are so encouraging. Be encouraged by pouring yourself into the truth and the miracles of God. Your history of God's faithfulness to you is a huge factor in how faithful you will be to God in your future. God calls this renewing your mind, and it's a journey and a process, and you need to be on it. Are you? That's why we're putting out all this content. We're just trying to say, get on the journey of building your history with God. To review your history with God, you have to have a history with God. Do you have one? Listen to me. 
Living on other people's God stories will only get you so far. Your faith will never be all that it can be, should be, and you want it to be until you are living on your God stories. Get after it. The last thing to do with worshiping wounded is sometimes the hardest of all, wait on God. Sometimes after you've done all the things I've mentioned, after you've done all the things that we've taught in this series, it's time to wait on God. I don't mean passively waiting. I mean actively waiting on God. That means pursuing community. It means coming to church. It means surrounding yourself with testimonies. It means doing a lot of things you're not going to feel like doing. Sometimes that's the hardest part. Stu Weber, in a book of his, told the story of a missionary family that came back on, on furlough and lent his late college to them. And they had two boys, and I think it was like three and a half and six or something like that. They were playing, and all of a sudden, I'm making a long story short, all of a sudden he heard a, uh, the father of the uh, uh, missionary heard a splash. And he realized that his three and a half year old had gone in the water. His six year old was screaming. He ran to the dock and he dove in. The water was muddy couldn't see his son. So he just kept searching for his son, searching for his son. Couldn't find his son. Three times he went down. On the third time, he was panicked and thinking, if I don't find my son soon, and he's just flailing around in the water because he can't see. And all of a sudden, he brushes against the dock post that is down in the water. And there is his son gripping the pole on the dock post. And he pries his son's hand loose, and he pulls him to the surface of the water. And after they recover, he looks, and he goes, why were you holding on to that dock post? And the little boy responded, I'm just waiting for you, Dad. He didn't know how to get to the top. Could have flailed all he wanted. He knew at that time in his life, all he could do was hold on to a pole and wait for his dad to show up. Hold on, God's coming. He's always coming because that's just who he is. In seasons of long suffering, worship again is the answer because worship's always the answer. I need to touch one more thing before I close. I need to touch on the honor God puts on you if you are called to a season of long suffering. I want you to be encouraged. God, through Peter, said this to those wounded in the battle. 1 Peter 2.19. For this finds favor if for the sake of consciousness toward God, the person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And through Paul, he says, for you, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That word granted, it means to be shown favor. If you've been chosen to carry this, walk this road, you have been shown favor of God and you are blessing God. The root word is charisma. It means to be gifted. It is so clear that God holds a great love and appreciation and joy in those who choose to suffer for his name and in his name. For those who stand in faith, a faith far beyond what they can see, a faith that lives where God lives. If you are called into this long-suffering journey, if you are in or go through a period of long-suffering, and you stand on the word and the faith of God, if you choose to live in the scene of God, I'd like to give you a picture of what I think 
God sees in this. Christian, we'll go ahead and pray. God gave me this picture as we were, as I was writing this message. Altars. The picture is building an altar. Altars were all through the scriptures. There were altars that were made uh, that were uh, for religious ceremonies in the temples. Those were used with instruments. But there was a different altar. There was a different that was made by individuals. There was lay altars. These altars were made by families or by individuals when they needed God. And in this, interestingly, they were told, don't ever use a tool. Don't shape stones for this. Don't use cement to put it together. You just find the pieces that are in your life. And you build an altar. Noah built an altar. Moses built an altar. Joshua built an altar. Gideon built an altar. And you know what happened at this altar? Theophanies happened. Theophanies happened at the altar. Theophanies just a fancy word that meant God showed up big whenever one of his children went to the altar. When we choose to worship while wounded, I believe God sees us making an altar out of our worship. Sometimes, by all visible measures, your life's broken and you have a choice to make. But if you don't hold back, it's just taking a stone and don't hold back any complaint or any concern before God. And when you're wounded, you just keep going and you make sure that you find the presence of God and that's another stone. And when you can't walk because you have no strength, you still find a way to climb towards God, and that's another stone. And then, when everybody else says God has abandoned you, you review your history with God, and you build another stone. And you don't change the shape, you just take them as they are. And then last, the hard part, waiting your altar's built. And that's an altar of worship that you have built. And you build that altar. And God will show up. God always shows up when a child of his builds an altar. Let's stand together. And Andrew's going to come and lead us in a little ministry time. I think there's only one thing we can do is to worship the Lord come before him and so often we have people off to the side who are ready to pray for you if you need prayer and uh, we'll, we'll do that kind of towards the end but what I think I want to do uh, for this morning we don't do this every week but um, you know, my dad's just talking about altars and so often the front of the room is called an altar at church and it's kind of you know, an altar call or something like that and we just want to I want to encourage you as we sing one more song do whatever you need to do to build your altar and I think that we all can find ourselves on one place of that journey, whether it's just, I need to remember what God's done. Maybe you're in the middle of waiting. You, maybe you need to climb a little higher. I don't know what it is that you need to do, but before we even go to somebody else to pray for us, there's always just that individual mandate. You've got to choose. What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do? Will you come before the Lord? And you may need to stay where you are. You may need to come to the front of the room and kneel. You may want to get close to these rocks and touch them as, a, as just something to solidify it in your heart. But I, I just want every single one of us to make the decision this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I'm going to ascend the hill of the Lord. I'm going to come into the presence of God. I'm going to bring, maybe it's something in the past. Maybe it's something that you're going through right now. Or maybe you're here and you're kind of like, that all kind of honestly sounds a little scary. Like, is something coming? Maybe, like he said, there's a fear that just needs to be sacrificed this morning. We all have something we can give on the altar of praise, whether it's a fear, a promise that doesn't seem to be kept yet, a situation that you're in the middle of right now. Let's be a people who put it before the Lord and say, God, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where else to go though, so I'm coming to you. So I want to pray and we're going to worship and just feel free to do whatever it is that you need to do over the next few minutes. Like I said, maybe you need to go somewhere, maybe you need to be where you are. Front is wide open for you to just do whatever you need to do. Find the sanctuary of God because God's about to show up big. I want to believe for that theophany, that moment with God. Lord, we love you and we thank you that when we come into your presence, you're there because we're in your presence, that you are faithful, God, that you are always there, that you're in the middle of everything the highs and the lows. Lord, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that right now you would lead us to the altar, that you would lead us in our praise. You would lead us into a moment of faith, God, wherever we are on the journey, whether we feel like we're on the mountaintop or the cave, Lord, I thank you that you're present. Lord, I'm asking right now for the theophany, Lord, for the show up big moments, God. Whatever it looks like to anybody else, it doesn't matter. I'm just asking for the ones, Lord, for the ones who need to see you, for the ones who need to hear you, the ones who need to feel your touch, God, I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you come now and walk through the room, touch our hearts, touch our minds, our past, our present, our future, Lord, we give you a sacrifice of praise, we give up what we don't know, we give up what we don't have, God, we must have the presence of God this morning, we worship you, we praise you in the middle, before, after, Lord, you will be our song this morning, in the name of Jesus.